This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast. Guests this week are James Bird and Kevin Robinson. Fortunately, no goals to talk about again after a third nil-nil draw in a row. Some of the visitors to Turf Moor and Burnley just unable to quite find that cutting edge in the final third at the moment. Um, James, what did you think of Burnley's performance overall? I thought it was really positive, to be honest. You know, um, we looked really tight at the back, and obviously uh, Djokovic had a, a really good game up front. And uh, you could see that there's opportunities there to score. Um, I don't know what it is that we're not, but you know things are moving in the right direction. I think a nil-nil draw at home to Sunderland, Kevin. It's not really an ideal result, is it? But I suppose the the run of clean sheets is promising. Um. It is, yeah. I think somebody somebody said on Twitter when, when somebody complained about it, saying, you know, a draw against Sunderland isn't a bad result, and it's not. Um, but I think what we said on last week's podcast is that we, we really wanted to, to, to score some goals in this match. I'd, I'd have been happy with, with a one-all draw, two-all draw. Um, but but a, two, a, a nil-nil, you, it, it does start to get concerning about the, about the lack of goals. Um but a nil-nil, a draw against Sunderland isn't the worst result result in the world. Um, and yeah, so in terms of the result, not not too disappointed. But I really, really want us to start scoring goals soon. We'll talk more about the the goals problem in a bit more detail later in the podcast. But James, at the start of the month, we were talking about sort of four or five points from the month being good, and I think we're all looking at this Sunderland game at home as being a really winnable one. Do you think we did enough to win it? We created quite a few chances, didn't we? But it was seems to be mainly sort of half chances to me. Um, yeah, I think I think a key issue is Djokovic. You know, he, while he is playing really well, he seems to to get a lot of his possession out wide, and I don't know what needs to change for him to be able to get it maybe in a more dangerous area. Um, but you just feel like maybe a lot of the time he's spending on the ball while he's you know he's doing really good things of it. You just feel like. For whatever reason, like maybe it's the opposition's defence have played that way. It just feels like he's maybe getting forced out a bit too far wide. Um, you know, and I know it's a, as well a bit of a stereotype to moan about the referee when you don't quite 
win. But you know, I think they were, you know, was potential for at least one penalty decision in there, and you know that could change the game as well. Yeah, Sean Dyche pointed out the. I think it was the the second one on Jukovic he wanted a penalty for, didn't it? And it always just seems to me a bit of a deflection tactic, not just when managers do it, but when fans do it as well. And I remember last week we got a penalty at Palace and we still didn't win, so there's no guarantee if we would have got a penalty. Um, which of the two, though, on Jukovic, do you think was the, the better case? So there was the first one and Brown seems to push him in the back and then the second one, there were a couple of challenges on him on the box and he seemed to lose his balance. Yeah, I personally, I know a lot of people think maybe the first one, but I thought the second one... And it's it's not for when he actually went down, it's for the bit before where I think it's O'Shea has clumps of his shirt, um, you know, and he's clearly impeded. And I think that's why he ends up so wide for the next bit, because he's you know, he's not in full control of what he's doing. Um and you know and this all comes back to, you know, a lot of I think referees really need to look at whether players are being impeded rather than whether the player goes down. You know, if he's clearly in a good position and he's not making the progress you'd expect, I think referees need to be looking at, you know, is the defender holding or something like that. And I think that's what decisions should be being given on, not necessarily whether someone goes to ground. There was another one, wasn't there? The one where he did get a shot away, um, where O'Shea had pulled him back just outside the box. And, yeah, it was it was certainly a foul. We got the advantage and he got the shot on target, but... Jukovic himself actually said after the game he was talking about um, I think the the incident you were talking about where there was sort of two fouls on him in, in one incident in the box and he said I felt like I didn't want to get into a situation where you are throwing yourself on the ground but it seems like you have to do that in order to get a penalty but maybe I am over the, overstepping the mark by saying that I don't know I've only seen them from my point of view I've not seen them again on the television but I thought there were penalties at the time Um Kevin, there was a couple of comments on, on Twitter after these quotes came out saying that maybe he's right, maybe he does have to start going down a bit easier. Um, but I think all teams think this, don't they? They say we're not the sort of team that does this cheating stuff, but are, are we giving ourselves a disadvantage by being a bit too honest? Yeah, I think I think every, every team every team you will, 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 will say that about themselves. You know, we're not that type of team. Um, We're really not, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, Danny Ings got booked last week, so maybe maybe we are. But um, that's a whole whole different ball game. Um, but I, I think something we talked to again a few a few weeks ago is that last time we were in the Premier League, we were probably a little bit too nice. Um, we we didn't like to do we didn't like to go down. We didn't like to. I think we, we give your opposition a little bit too much respect sometimes. So maybe we do need to have that bit of a mean streak, but obviously it is a very fine line because we don't want to get to the stage where we are outright cheating. Um, obviously, it would it, be, be great if we could all be really commendable and really um, do what Duke does and did, did on Saturday and just stay on his feet no matter what. Um, it is a very fine line because you don't want to come out on the podcast. You don't want to come out and say, yes, he should fall over, even though he didn't really need to. Um, um, but yeah, it's 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 getting that fine line between being not too nice but not overly cheating, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think I think the Yorkwich one maybe. I, I think it was Brown rather than O'Shea. If if he goes down after the first contact, then he's he forces the referee to make a decision, and I think that's 
that's the key thing, isn't it? It's when there's contact there, do you go down or do you try and stay on your feet? But James is right. Like, if referees are, are eagle-eyed enough, they should be spotting when there's a foul and whether the player goes down or not, they should give it. Um, other positives to take from the game, George Boyd played well again, didn't he, James? Yeah, as, a, as I've written on the site, um, I think George Boyd looks you know, a really good team player um, as well as looking to have a bit of flair about him. And you know, that is rare for wingers that you get someone who's, even if maybe he's not on his game going forward, he's going to contribute massively to the team. Um, and obviously you do get it with Scott Arfield, but Scott Arfield's not really by trade a winger. So you know, it's almost maybe that's the reason he's been played on the wing because you get that sort of centre midfield work rate from him. Um, but yeah, the ground Judge Boyd covered on, on Saturday was incredible. And uh, and he has that neat little move he does when tracking back where he sort of seems to wait for the, just the right time and, and picks the, the attacker's pocket and he's instantly going back the other way. And in a little way, that kind of reminds me of what Wade Elliott used to do a lot when he played um, in centre midfield for his sort of in promotion season and the, the first year in the Premier League. He's very quick on the turn, isn't he? So when we get those transitions, when we nick the ball in midfield, we can get up the pitch quite quickly. Um, there was one comment in response to your icon site about Boyd saying, um, we've already got hard-working wide men. Arfield and Cowley did that last season and they both offered telling contributions going the other way. Um, no, obviously Boyd's only played two games for us, but we probably do need to see a bit more from him in the final third, don't we? It's, it's a three million pound player we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, we've, I think we've seen glimpses. You know, there's been, been opportunities, particularly at Palace. He, he looked a real threat in the first half going going forward. Um, I think mean, Palace actually is a big part of um, sort of the foundation of the article I wrote. That if you look at that game in the first half, he, he seemed really strong going forward. Second half, he maybe wasn't getting the rub of the green going that way, but what he was doing obviously was working for the team and coming back. Um, I was actually going to respond to that comment, but I haven't got round to it yet as that's as we're recording probably we've done by the time it's up but um, I've, you know I've, I feel that's right that what's been said but as I've said already here um, Scott Arfield isn't naturally a winger so you know maybe that is why he plays on the wing because you get that that extra work rate from him um, but also Michael Carter while he does obviously put in a good shift and he, he graphs a lot I'm just not sure you see that same sort of steal the ball and turn that you, that you get from Boyd which I think if you're playing um, you know, tight games like we're clearly going to be, if we're keeping clean sheets, but you're not necessarily getting a lot going the other way, I think we really need to take advantage of maybe getting odd man situations where um, George, Boyd, uh, George Boyd's picked the pocket of a you know, left-back who's maybe daydreaming a little bit. And next thing you know, you've got Danny Ings in a position where he can, you know, can penetrate the defence and you're talking you know, two-on-one with a centre-back or you know, three-on-two. Um, if you've got another striker joining um, and I think that could be really key as a, a way for us to to take advantage of um, laziness from opposition defenders I think we'll we'll see the team become more attuned to George Boyd as well won't we, like they'll learn what his strengths are and talking about nicking the ball I think that the attackers have to anticipate that that's going to be a possibility and be ready to, to seize upon those chances I think there's been a couple of occasions where not just Boyd but we've won the ball in midfield and Springing the the counter attack has just been a little bit hesitant. I think that's held us back a couple of times. Yeah, and obviously um, it's it's important to remember we're saying all this before George Boyd. Uh, George Boyd's really had much chance to to really bed in with the squad. Um, you know, we know that 
um, Dasha's training methods always focus on fitness and you know being relentless. Uh, clearly, obviously George Boyd, uh, you know, kept himself in great shape at, at Hull as well. But you do wonder, you know, what the the effect that that Dasha's training regime, which you know many people say is completely different to a lot of clubs and a lot more fitness focused, you know, what benefits that's going to bring to Boyd's game. Yeah, on Boyd, actually, I was just trying to look up um, some of his quotes about the game. I think he said after uh, the Palace game, he was getting cramp after about an hour, but on on Saturday against Sunderland, it was more after sort of 70 minutes. So the the progress is coming fitness-wise. But yeah, I think Boyd, compared to the other wings, has maybe got a little bit more X factor. I thought it was quite startling that people were calling for Ross Wallace to maybe get a game <laughs> to improve our attacking and maybe create some more chances. I think we're maybe clutching straws a little bit if Wallace is the solution being touted. And on fitness as well, apparently that's why uh, Nathaniel Shalbar has not been involved yet because his fitness isn't quite up to standard yet, which yeah. I think it's a bit of a shame because I think he's too good to be leaving out. Um, I think on what you said about Poitras, sorry to come back again, but um, I think it comes back to something you said on Twitter the other day that you do get what you paid for and obviously George Boyd was £3 million, so... You know, you've got to assume that we're going to get three million pounds worth of player. Where, as you know, the other wingers we've got haven't cost anywhere near that amount. That's not as a, you know, to say there's anything wrong with them. It's just to say, you know, if you you get what you pay for, which you generally do in life, um, you know, you're going to expect a little bit more X factor from George Boyd. Yeah, and I think that's maybe why people are expecting more in the final third from him already. And with Ings out, I think it's especially crucial that the Boyd's going to be the creative spark. So. Yeah, I think there's more to come from him, but I think his first two games he's done quite well. And just on that point you were making about um, getting what you paid for, it was it was Leonardo Joa, the, the Leicester striker I mentioned. Now in the summer I thought eight million, seven million or however much they paid for him was quite a lot of money, but five goals in five games maybe just shows that you have to pay that sort of money for a goal scorer. But we'll come back to Burnley's goal problem. Um a little bit later in the podcast. Kevin, staying with the positives though, it's another clean sheet and Although Sunderland have got some decent attackers, they didn't really trouble us that much. They had one shot at the end that Heaton turned onto the post, but we were quite comfortable again. And the defensive unit is working as a whole really well. Um, it is, yeah. Um, and like I, said, I don't think I think we've probably been tr- we've been troubled at the back all season. Actually, for probably about twenty minutes against Chelsea, about twenty minute spell Chelsea had when they were completely out of this world is probably the only spell where we've actually looked uncomfortable at the back. The rest of the time we've been really, really comfortable. Actually, it was that one slight mistake um, between me and Heaton um, allowed Swansea to score. And other than that, we've been really, really solid and no team has really looked like we're going to score against us. Um, just as much as we've not hugely looked like scoring ourselves, we've not even looked like conceding at the other end either. Um, I don't think we'll probably talk about it a little bit more. I don't think it's completely detached from the, the lack of goal scoring. I think those two things are are very are related. I think if you if you're not scoring goals, um, often it tends to be the case that you're not conceding many as well, um, and vice versa as well. Um, but it's really, especially considering how we were last time we were in Premier League, it's really uh, really encouraging to see us. Um, keeping it really tight at the back because that is the foundation what we can grow from. Um, it shows that we've we've got a good system, we've got we're quite solid. Um and you can certainly work from that I think a lot more than, than the other way around if that makes sense. I think 
if you've got that solid foundation, you can you can you've got it's a lot easier to to grow from that and work out how we can okay take that forward now and start scoring rather than around if we're scoring a lot but conceding a lot. I think it's a lot more difficult to get the balance from that from that foundation if that makes sense. Well, going back to when Dash first came in at Turf Mall, that that was the problem we were having then, wasn't it? Going forward, we were fine, but we were conceding far too many. And I think we saw in the early days of Dash's time at, at Turf Mall that we maybe did go too far the other way and were too defensive. But I think you're right; the foundation is good, and it's now just up to players at the other end of the pitch to to find the edge to to get us these points. Um, I was a bit disappointed with the Sunderland result, really, overall, just because I, I feel when you play teams that are going to be around you at the bottom at home, you really need to, to be picking up wins. But, again, if you take the result in isolation, it's absolutely fine. Another nil-nil, another clean sheet, it's all good. I just worry that that win still seems to be a little way away. Um, James, Marvin Sordell played on Saturday with Ings being out injured. What did you make of his performance? I think he probably did, you know, what was asked of him. Um, but it, it did feel a bit like we were, we were missing um, what Ings offers, you know, that, that bit of pace, that bit of running at people. And it almost became like we were playing two strikers that were they were holding the ball up. Um, I think it's really difficult in that we seem to have a squad where we've got a couple of, maybe a couple of Sam Vokes mould players who I think are, you know, more than more than capable of you know scoring goals if they if they get the ball in the right position, but we only have one Danny Ings and we don't have another option that that does what Danny Ings does. And I think when you're playing two up front, you need someone who's a bit different to the guy he's next to. Um, otherwise, it doesn't really seem to to provide that next step after one of them picks the ball up. Yeah, I mean. Yuxvich has obviously come in as a as a Volks replacement, hasn't he? So you would assume that, that Sordell was signed to be cover for Ings and he played in the Ings role, sort of off the front man in the in the number ten role, if you want to call it that. And it didn't really seem suited to it to me. I, I think if you're gonna play Sordell, you want him on the on the shoulder of the last man where he can really use his pace, whereas in that sort of link role, I'm not sure he's got the attributes to play that position. So there's been some criticism of him that will come to in a minute, but do you think that's partly just because he's playing in an unfamiliar position and it's a big step up to the Premier League as well? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've not seen a lot of Sodell in the past. He's He's been a player who's had a lot of mention about, you know, the potential he's got, but he never seemed to really get a big run, you know, running at any side for you to particularly take notice of him. Um but I do wonder sort of with his attributes, he's he's maybe more of a I mean he's not quite as big, but he he's got more of an Akin Bay build to him now that I know in the past he used to be quite a skinny you know, skinny centre forward, but he's now quite built and you you do think, you know, is he more sort of should be playing more like an Akin Bay role or maybe with his pace he should be playing more like Martin Patterson did where he's hassling people. Um I'm not sure and to be honest, you know, I'm not a tactician so I can't really Offer the answer to to what what Sodell's role really is. It's it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's, it's a couple of years since Sodell was really um, in good form in the championship, and he he does obviously like confidence. He had that chance, didn't he? In sort of the first five minutes of the game, it's probably as good a chance as we created. 
and he seemed to get his feet all wrong and never looked like he was going to even, even get a shot away and sort of miskicked it. I just wondered if, if he'd managed to even get a shot on target from that chance early on, that might have made a big difference to his confidence and we'd have seen a different player then. I think he just looks like he's really low on confidence at the minute and that's always difficult to take into a game, I think. The disappointing thing about Slaudel on Saturday for me was that he wasn't even pressing the defenders. I, I can understand missing chances and his link play being not great, but if you're not going to pressurise the defenders, that's the minimum expectations for me. And he, he fell short of that. And that might sound critical for a, a guy in his first game, but I'm sorry, I don't think he was giving maximum effort as much as possible. Um, Kevin, you said before on the podcast about Sordell, you weren't sure whether he was supposed to be cover for Ings or a different option from the bench. I suppose the fact that he was in the team on Saturday indicates that he's supposed to be cover for Danny Ings. Um, it does, yeah. It indicates that Sean Dyche um, did bring him in for that reason. Um, I'm still not convinced that is what he... what is best for the team. I still think that um, we, we should have been adding another player into mid- midfield and I still think, certainly at this stage, if he is so long on confidence, I'm not sure we we can afford to be carrying somebody who, who's got that, that, that such a low confidence, especially coming into a place, someone as, as important to the team as Danny Ings. And he, especially, again, if, if we're not playing him in the position that's quite right for him. It's quite strange that yeah, I think the reason that I, I did think he was brought in as a different option is because he's a very different player to Danny Ings. You mentioned that he struggled with that link position. He was playing a little bit too far backwards. Actually, he should be a bit more further forward. And that's why I find it a little bit strange because he's not the sort of player who can just slot in for Ings, um, which is, seems to be what Dyche wanted him to do at the weekend. And seemingly, um, at least in my first game, it didn't it didn't happen. Um, so yeah, I think... For myself, I still I still think I prefer at least at this stage him to him to come off the bench and give us something different in the last half hour. Um, Daesh has indicated so far that that's not what he's looking for. I'd be interested to see if we if we go with the same system in the next game though. Uh, I think he's West Brom, is it? Be interesting to see what we do there because um, again he he has indicated that he's willing to play his uh, his formation a little bit and mix things about. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if Sordell does keep his place in the team. Yeah, Dash has already said he'd be he'd be um, he's willing to experiment with maybe one up front for away games. So I think it will be interesting to see if um, Sordell is in the team for West Brom. Um, there was a lot of talk on on Twitter and message boards and stuff about Sordell after the game. Um, quite a lot of tweets critical of him, but also some people saying that we need to give him time. Someone said to me. We've got to give him 10 games, which I thought was incredible. 10 games from now, we're going to be a third of the way through the season. Surely we can't give someone that much time. Anyway, some of the tweets that came in, um, probably more critical than we would want to be on, on the podcast, but someone said, yes, Soda was awful, barely championship standard, never mind Premier League standard. Someone else said, I thought he was fine on Saturday, more useful than Ings has been this season anyway. And someone else said to that, totally agree with this, Ings looks like a little boy lost running with his head down closed alleys. I think that's quite harsh. Um, someone else said, the lad needs some game time. It's crazy to slag him off after one start. Ings has looked good. He's finding his feet. A few other comments. Barnes was considerably better when he came on. That's what Rob Laycock thinks. Um, <laughs> Kieran Dahl says, 
Slowdale was absolutely diabolical, as he was last week too. If he starts at West Brom, I'm getting back on the coach, which is probably a bit of an extreme reaction. Um, yeah, but it's, it shows how critical people are being of Slowdale. And yeah, I just think that early chance maybe maybe was the difference for Marvin Sodell. Coming back to to the, the replacing Danny Ingsting, Kevin, the thing that struck me was that we probably talk about Danny Ings as a ten million pound player. I don't think that's any exaggeration if we're talking about Ross McCormack being worth eleven million. So if you're talking about Ings as a ten million player, how can his replacement be a five hundred thousand pounds player? Surely the drop off it's going to be vast. Um, it is, yeah. And we were talking about you get what you pay for earlier. Um, and, and that's quite indicative, it, it really. Um, uh, especially, you know, I think when you, when, if you're a team, you team like us with, with so much pressure to, to, to perform and, and get that first level. Like we've not got the biggest squad. Uh, certainly not. We've got the biggest first level. We've got a few players who can come in and do different things, but our first 11 players are going to be really challenging. For first 11, the pool isn't that big. If we if we did have a bigger squad, maybe we could we could risk a, play, a lower player like that who could come in and 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 we're, we're still comfortable to have someone come in to 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 come in as well if he doesn't do that we're good. Um, but you do you do look at that if if Sodell is our only backup for rings, and he is a risk. Um, if we just continue to do nothing, then then we're left with with, with nobody really. I think we talked last season when Ings was out. That there was a few players who could come in and play in the, the Ings role, like the, the likes of Junior Stanislas and Michael Kitely. Um, obviously, Junior's not here again, and I think playing the likes of Kitely in that role is fine in the Championship. But uh, just because we were we were such a good team, I think we could we could get away with having that slightly lesser player in there for a few games when it was required. But this level, with the margins are small, so small. And like, if we do stay up, it's probably going to be by one or two points. Um, I'm not sure you can afford to have anything else, anything other than a real top class player in that, in that position, especially like you say when it is such a such an important position to us. If you know he's like he's a dan- ten million pound player, so we're, we're essentially losing nine point five million pounds worth of, of player, which is a huge loss to a, to a team like us. Um, and when the margins are so small. In the, in the championship, you can afford it. At this level, I don't think we can. Yeah, I think Barnes as well. At the end of last season, when we had um, Ings injured and then Volks injured, I think he filled in fine. And as a as a sort of first reserve championship player, I had no problem with Ashley Barnes. But if we're going to use him as a player to try and get a goal in the last half hour of a Premier League game, I think it's a totally different story. And I'm not sure he's up to it at the minute. I think Barnes and Sordell not really going to be cut out for it. And I'm very disappointed that we didn't buy a goal scorer. Um, in response to which, people would typically would typically go, well, in that case, who should we have bought? And preemptively, I've prepared some names um, for the podcast. Obviously, this is all with the benefit of hindsight. We can see how these players have been getting on this season. But um, towards the top end of the scale, a player that moved from League One, so it would have been a big jump, but Brita Sombolonga from um, Peterborough, Went to Forest for five and a half million pounds. He scored eight goals in ten games so far this season. Uh, that's a lot of money, but he looks like he's the real deal already, and he scored a lot of goals for Peterborough as well. Um, a little bit further down the the sort of sliding scale of, of finances, Lewis Graben cost Norwich about three million, I think, this summer from Bournemouth. 
and he scored five in eight games this season, so he's in good form as well, and he's good age at 26. And Bournemouth, of course, we know Eddie Howe can spot a striker as, as well as anyone in the Football League. When they lost Graben, they spent the money on Callum Wilson, about a million pound on the young striker from Coventry, and he's got five goals in ten games this season. So these are all players that should have been within our financial reach this summer, I think. Uh, James, bring you back in then. Should we have bought a goal scorer in the summer? Do you think Barnes and Sodell are really good enough as cover? Uh, well, I, should we? Brought, I, I don't really know. Obviously, we brought in uh, Djokovic and, and Sodell, and uh, you know, there's nothing to say that once he gets one goal, Djokovic isn't going to sort of perform what Sam Volks did. Because I think getting one goal is quite often key for a striker. Um, you know, they need that confidence of, you know, having seen one hit the back of the net to maybe shoot in at times when previously they weren't shooting. Um, but it, the names you've obviously listed are quite interesting, but they've all been doing it at the championship level. And, you know, it's hard to say whether they'd step up a quiver, uh, you know, the, the same as we'd need them to, to the Premier League. And obviously earlier you talked about um, and the, the lad at Leicester, if you look at the goals he scored at Brighton, he was a one in two man, um, you know, which is you know, good for the championship. But they, I don't think there was anything there to say that he was going to step up the way he did to the to the Premier League um, so far. Um, so you know, it is really hard. To, and he was eight million, which you know, when you looked at it previously, you probably thought that's a little bit steep. But now you're thinking, well, he looks like he could be the bargain of the century if he keeps this up. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, Quite a few people saying this, um, you know, we'll be great. We'll, you know, we'll be fine once so and so gets a goal. We'll be fine once so and so gets a goal, and just for the whole team as well. You know, we'll, once we start scoring, we'll be fine. Um, I, I, I'm not too convinced about that. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people putting a lot of faith into maybe's and ifs at the moment. There's a lot of people saying, you know, you know, we're doing we're doing great in defence, and once soon as we start scoring, that'll be it. We'll you know we'll be away, but. I don't think there's anything really to suggest that that will happen. Um, yeah, Djokovic. I, I, you know, I'm really impressed with Djokovic. I really like him. Um, but there's not a lot to suggest he's, he's ever going to be a real prolific goal scorer. And I think that's fine. I'm, I'm not. I don't think anyone's expecting him to go and score 15 goals or whatever. Um, I think if, if Ings was scoring or somebody else was scoring, I think that that'd be absolutely fine. Um, but I, I would be very cautious about just expecting things to come good. Once we get that one goal, because you've got to you've got to think there's a reason why we're not scoring goals at the moment, and if there is, then that one goal is is that going to change that? Is it? Just, I don't think there's. I don't think scoring one goal is a magic pill as, as what a lot of people seem to think it is. I agree, and it's it's a big leap as well to say that we just need one goal and to say Jukovic just needs one goal. That's fine, but. I think we've already proved this season that scoring goals is really hard in the Premier League. Like you say, oh, we just need to get one. When are we going to get one? Like it could be two or three weeks until we get a goal. And to say it's all going to be fine as soon as we get one goal probably sounds a bit harsh. But I think there's a little bit of delusion there. It's it's probably more to it to, than that for me. There's been a lot of talk about the chances we've created as well. And, I think we are creating chances, but I'm not sure they're the sort of clear-cut chances that you would say, yes, the striker should have scored that. For me, on Saturday against Sunderland, there was one that Sordell miskicked in the first five minutes. And apart from that, 
didn't create a clear-cut chance for me. Now, Sunderland did neither, which shows how tight a game it was. But that's been every game this season for us. There's been maybe one good chance that you'd expect the strikers to score, and that's been it. Maybe that's just the margins involved in the Premier League, but if we're going to say one goal's going to fix everything, we're going to have to start creating better chances, otherwise the goal isn't going to come. Um, looking ahead to Saturday then, not Saturday, even Sunday, we're not going to score on Saturday because we're not playing on Saturday. Looking ahead to Sunday, James, West Brom away, do you think maybe the, the one striker up top thing's going to be an option, or are you expecting it to be the same again? Don't know. I mean, I think that'll be interesting. I think Djokovic is probably someone who's made, you know, in a way that he, he can play the the lone striker pretty well, as long as he gets a good support from uh, sort of an advanced central midfielder. Um, you know, and I, I think depending on uh, Cartley's fitness, I think that that probably is a big um, a big influence on whether that happens or not. Because obviously Cartley had the the pre season injury. And it looks like he's, you know, maybe not back to full fitness yet, judging by how much of a part he's played. Um, but I think if he did, he was fully fit. You could play him, Arfield or Boyd, sort of behind uh, Djokovic. You know, there's the option there to interchange, um, and obviously that give you quite a dynamic attack. Not just Cartley as well. Matt Taylor's been injured the last couple of weeks, and you'd think maybe if Taylor was fit, he could have played on the left and. Maybe Boyd off the striker. I think at the minute that's my preferred option, Boyd off the striker. What do you make of that, Kevin? Um, yeah, I think I, I said last week, and I'm really adamant that I think the reason we're we're not we're not scoring is nothing to do with with well, I say nothing to do with. Obviously, it, it does have a role, but I think the, the, the main reason we're not scoring is the system, and I just don't think four four two is working for us in the in Premier League. Um, a lot of people said, you know, we, we created so many chances at four four two in the championship, but it's a very different different game uh, at this level. And I really think we need to be going to four five one. If we, it sounds weird because you say four five one has got this stigma of being a very defensive uh, formation. Um, in a lot of systems, it is. But Dice, um, someone talked about formations a while ago, and Dice really dismissed the whole concept of formations, saying, you know. Um, formations doesn't really mean anything it's about what you do with with our system you can play you can play a very attacking attacking 451 you can play a very defensive 442 but i think one of the, one of the biggest things for, for me this season is just we're not getting that support for the strikers like you say we we somebody mentioned that we are in terms of stats apparently i've not checked this up but apparently we are creating a lot of chances um, but like you say, there's none of them are, are clear cut at all, and and I think that is that is simply is because it's similar to what James said earlier. James was saying that, that the Duke is he is not in the middle; he's getting the ball, but it's too far out, it's too wide, it's too far back. And I think that's because we're we're not we're struggling to get the ball past their back four. Kieran Trippy is not allowed to to overlap as much as he's used to. Neither is Ben Me. We've not got. The midfield is driving forward as as as, as much as we used to last season, and I think if we did that, have that extra man in midfield, be it someone sat behind uh, Marnie and Jones or in front of them, um, either way, I think it would really give us that a bit more freedom to to for the, the midfield to express themselves and for the midfield to push a bit more for for Kieran Trippier to overlap as, and get behind the the left back a lot more, and it'd give Duke the, the opportunity to be in the middle. 
um, in front of goal to, to get that header in or get that strike in. And yeah, I, I'm really, I feel really strongly that we would be a lot more of a goal threat with that four five one. Um, but I, that's, I don't know if Sean Dyche agrees. He, he's indicated he's willing to, to try that. And I think this is a real, real ideal, ideal opportunity. We, we talked initially a few weeks ago about, you know, we want to try this four five one, but can you justify dropping Ings and can you play Ings up front by himself? And we weren't really sure about either. So now Ings, now we're forced to drop in. So Ings is out and we've got an away game, which is an ideal opportunity to try it. I think, Absolutely, on Saturday I would definitely go with uh, with a four five one. Whoever comes in, be it um, Kiley Taylor, somebody else. Yeah, I think Dash is right when he says people get too hung up about formations. But the thing about four five one is people might say it's defenses to take a strike right for a, a non striker, and yeah, they're right. But when we're attacking, that four five one becomes a four three three. So you've got three attackers instead of two, so that's more attacking. And I think you're right in that you say potentially frees up the fullbacks to get forward better as well. And certainly getting Kieran Trippier involved is something that we're going to have to work on. On Trippier, actually, as part of Johnny Bentley's analysis of the game, um, he suggested a potential idea. And this is something that comes up quite often, but I'm not sure we've talked about it on the podcast before. Saying Kieran Trippier is the best deliverer, deliverer of a cross in the team but his influence is being heavily restricted because of the amount of defending he's got to do would it therefore not be a better idea to play Stephen Reid at right back and push Trippier forward onto the wing um, now James this one seems to come up quite a lot partly because of the number of assists that Trippier got last season what's your assessment of this theory I think Kieran Trippier is also a very good defender and you know, if you look at our squad um, you do have to wonder who'd fill the right back role as well as Trippier does. Um, but I think another problem is that a lot of teams have realised that Kieran Trippier provided a lot of assists last season. And you'll see that coming forward, he's quite heavily marked. Um, and I think that's been making it difficult for him to get his crosses in because you know there's always someone in front of him. Um, and he's just not getting the space he used to. People used, he used to overlap and you know suddenly the left-back had realised he was there as soon as he was getting the ball. Uh, but now he's finally he's after taking people on a little bit more and obviously if you take someone on you don't necessarily connect with the cross the way you want um, you know because you, you're at full pelt or because you're stretching and I think that's really what's affecting just that people teams seem to realise that Kieran Trippier was key to, to scoring goals and they've gone to try and look to shut him down that's no surprise to me. I think in the Premier League, you're only playing once a week mostly, so you've got more time to work on individual tactics for combating teams. Yeah, I mean, I think teams, obviously, it's in just the Premier League. The Premier League, they're more, more, more suited to be able to adapt to higher-quality players, I suppose. Yeah, and obviously teams in the Premier League have you know, greater scouting resources than we're seeing in the Championship. They'll have compiled you know, more detailed reports on how we play, um, you know, generally they probably have someone who looks at video of opposition teams and they've probably sat down with the players and actually gone through, you know, this is a you know, a typical dangerous Burnley attack. And, you know, every time people will see Kieran Trippier's there and he's he's always a key part. Um so naturally the manager before the game has probably said to someone, Your job is make sure Kieran Trippier doesn't get too much space and you know, that's gonna that's gonna have an impact on his uh his game. I think we have seen a few occasions though when Trippier has got into four positions and his crossing hasn't been quite as accurate as maybe we were expecting. But yeah, I think we do need to wait to 
need to come up with a way to combat that because you're absolutely right. Teams are doubling up on him and uh, tactics like Palace last weekend where they were just leaving Zaha up the pitch to stop Trippy getting forward at all. And we're going to see that quite a lot and we are going to have to come up with a plan. Um, looking ahead to next weekend then, Kevin, West Brom away. This is the third game in September and we've talked about how these games against relegation rivals are vital, but they've got such an impressive win at Spurs at the weekend probably going to be a tougher game than we'd imagined a couple of weeks ago um it is yeah uh, but but again i i don't think they i don't think there's anything to be particularly scared of either um and i, I think again we're not going to go in there expecting a win like we perhaps did on saturday but my minimum expectation once again is a score draw i really uh, I think we really need to need to start scoring soon. I know I might start sound like like a I'm going on and on about the same point again, um, but getting that starting scoring and getting that system where we we do start scoring, I think is vital for me. And I think a score draw is the minimum expectation. I'd be I'd be quite disappointed with uh, if we, we if we were to, were to draw nil nil, but I'd be happy with a, a one one two two. Um, but yeah, a, a draw is a good result away from home in, in this league. Um, yeah, we we do need to get that first win, um, especially after not getting on Saturday, which I think, I think a lot of us really hoped for. But in the Premier League, especially after how we did it on the road last season, every every point is is vital. So I, I'd be really happy with a draw, as long yeah, as we pro- score. The problem, I think I'd almost take a 4-3 defeat over a nil-nil <laughs> draw at the minute give us more to talk about on next week's podcast for starters uh, I think one of the problems now is you look at the fixtures we've got back-to-back away games at West Brom and Leicester and these are going to be really tough games we saw Leicester on Sunday um, cause real problems for Manchester United and although they've had defensive issues all season to see Leicester scoring five against United I think that was um, difficult for Burnley fans to watch maybe Um James, what what are you expecting from from Sunday's game? West Brom, I noticed, were able to play Julian Lescott for, I think, the first time this season. So maybe no coincidence that they kept a clean sheet for the first time with with Lescott in their side. Um, Yeah, I think it's difficult to to say what to expect because West Brom are a side that I think are going to be definitely down the bottom end of the table. Um, Alan Irvine still looks to be a really strange appointment for a, you know, for a Premier League side, especially when obviously Steve Clark originally was so highly thought of, and uh, you know he he was getting good results, and it seemed to go south for him. Um, but you know they're in a maybe a, a similarish position to us. I know they've obviously got a win, um, but they've not scored a lot of goals. Um, you know they've clearly obviously conceded more than us. Um, but obviously they have got that win on the board. I think it'll be um, you know, a really tough game. I think like every game in the Premier League is, to be honest, you don't go into any thinking. Um, and obviously people probably looked at Sunday and thought this is our most winnable game yet. But you never thought you know, it's going to be easy. Um, and West Brom will be another tough game. Obviously it's away from home. And I think in general I'd probably be inclined to be happy with a draw away from home because... You know, as long as you're not getting beat, there is a positive there. Um, but I think you know it'd be key to key to score a goal. And you look at the last three games, all all nil nils, 
but there's probably been a moment in each game where something's just a slight bit different. You know, we're talking about a one 0 win for Burnley, so it'd be nice to eventually maybe get that one 0 win. Just have one of those things that's hit the bar, or you know, the penalty that has drawn a pretty good save. Um, just go our way and, and get that bit, little bit of the rub of the green, and and get a goal and and uh, hold on to another clean sheet. I think that was fair, and I think may, maybe a lot of what we said comes across negative today. But it is worth pointing out that the Scott Arfield penalty uh, could have given us a win at Palace, and we haven't even mentioned the Ashley Bond shot against Sunderland that took a deflection and came back off the bar. If that drops in. Then, then we're in a, a much better position. Talking about the negativity, Kevin, you had a piece on the site today about how um, how things are perceived in general. Um, just just talk us through what what your thoughts are on this um, accusations of negativity. Um, basically, I'm I'm just a little bit peeved at people simplifying um, arguments we fear don't on the face of a green and reducing it just down to this one this one black and white thing either it's a it's a positive point or it's a negative point i don't think i don't think there's any any such thing as a, a, a negative viewpoint and a positive viewpoint it's all it's all so complex and like i said i i said something at the weekend someone replied back saying oh you've been so negative but actually when you had a, when we, we got into a bit of a discussion about it we actually felt that actually we have very similar views and you you can say that it's it's negative to say that we're not scoring goals, um, but actually, when you look at there's 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 reasons why I'm thinking that, and actually, I'm saying actually, I think we've got the ability to go and score goals, and that's why I'm disappointed that we're not doing. Um, I don't think it's I don't think that's particularly negative. It's just it's just a comment saying actually, you know, if we switch things about, maybe things can be different. Just a little bit annoyed that people are so eager to put views into different categories. Um, rather than than talk about them too a lot, people just just dismiss them outright rather than asking questions and getting into that debate. Um, that's that's what um, I was a little bit annoyed about. Um, yeah, just on the on this negativity thing, I I freely admit that I'm probably more negative than than most. But I, I had someone, and this was like midnight on Saturday, so he probably had a few beers. But he called me an effing miserable c-word. And I was like, that's, that's <laughs> really harsh. There's no need for that. Like, I don't know you. You don't just say things like that to people on the internet. I was like, oh, God, that's, that's really harsh. I was like, there's no need for that. Just looking at the fixtures, actually, I wonder if we used up all our goals in pre-season when we beat FC Crossline 8-0 in our first pre-season game. Maybe Barnes and Sordell have scored their allocation for the season in that match. Hopefully that's not the case. Um, Looking ahead to Sunday, then it is Sunday, the West Brom game, four o'clock kickoff, Super Sunday. Um, one of the Twitter clarets actually suggested that Sky's going to rebrand it Super Sunday, which is clever, but he's been a bit of a miserable, you know what, there. Um, James, give us a prediction then for the West Brom. I think I'm going to go along the lines of what I said earlier. We're going to be really good defensively again, and we're going to get that, that little bit of look that we need just for you know one of those chances to not hit the bar or. Yeah, something like that, and I think it'd be one nil. Well, I said one nil for the Sunderland game, and was wrong. So I'm going to go nil nil again. I think it's safe bet. What about you, Kevin? Uh, well, I don't want to be accused of being negative, so I'm going to be optimistic. Seven nil, seven nil. I want to hope uh, Sean Dyche is listening to a podcast. So I'm sure, I'm sure he's a big fan. Is going to listen to my <laughs> tactical advice. Go four five one, and we're going to get. Um, 
we're going to get a one-all draw, um, which is optimistic as uh, as I think. And yeah, and if you are listening, Sean, um, drop us an email, blog at non, uh, podcast at noninever.net, and you can get on the podcast next week and talk about our our first win of the season. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go for a one-all draw, which I'd be very happy with. I don't think Sean likes people criticising his tactics, so it's maybe not that great an idea for him to come on the podcast. Well, he's quite a scary man, so we might all be a bit different if he was on the show with us. That's about all we've got time for this week. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening. If you do have any feedback at all, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at nonanever.net. We've got to thank our sponsors at Neville G as well. We come to the website, all the podcasts, all the live blog, or anything that we do here at NNN without them, so thanks a lot for that. Guests this week have been James Bird, Kevin Robinson uh, live blog will be back on Sunday 4 o'clock kickoff for West Brom away and we will see you then good night away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.